What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We have a great topic on Friday morning GM for you today, and it's how do the Ravens approach building the 2024 defense? Lots of questions coming up. Obviously, some very significant UFAs here to discuss this with me, as always, is my co-host, Voss Laricos. Voss, how are you doing? Doing very well, Ken. Looking forward to this discussion. Great topic. And uh, now's the time of year to start thinking about it, uh, whether you can resign someone early or just start to line your ducks up in a row and how you're going to approach trying to put that puzzle together. We talked about doing this show a little earlier, and in some ways you should really start doing this before the trade, trade deadline. The Ravens a team with some significant draft capital over the next two years. Now, they won't have a ton this year, particularly if the season – continues on as it is, and they have a late first-round pick that that impacts your draft capital significantly. But 2024, as we're going to get into, uh, will probably be a big year of uh, exiting free agents, which means they should have some compensatory picks in 2025, um, and that should give them some draft capital they need. Now, we, we've talked a little bit on this show before, potentially trading a 2025 pick which would have had the nice value of, you know, if it's a floater being towards the end of a round, like three, four, mm-hmm. five or six. Sure. And another way you could approach it, if you try to want to level out the resource allocation from the next two seasons is maybe you spend a little bit more cap in 24 and then you, and then you pull back on the cap since you have more extra picks in 25. Um, a lot of ways to do it. A big time puzzle here. The Ravens, the with, with his use of the void years has, uh, made his, his task challenging in addition to Lamar Jackson contract and the Roquan Smith contract. So um, I think we should start on the defensive line because that is the position where both starters are unrestricted free agents and both Michael Pierce and Justin Matabike are carrying a large snap share this season. Yeah, absolutely. And and Brent Urban, also a, a UFA at a lesser level, obviously, that can that is probably resignable. Uh, Broderick Washington before the season taken care of with a three-year deal. So that that will, I believe, keep him for 24 through 26, if I recall. And then uh, uh, Travis Jones, of course, still on his rookie deal. And he'll be a third-year player. His role is going to be obviously very important. But let's talk about the other, really the, the elephants in the room. Um, when we, I guess you want to start with Justin Matavike. I think we should. I think he's the most coveted player on the impending free agent list. Uh, ESPN put out their rankings yesterday. He was number 13 in the league. Uh, the only other Raven to make the list was Patrick Queen with just an honor, honorable mention. Um, so Matabike is certainly going to be coveted having a career year. What is it? Eight games consecutive, at least with a half sack. Um, so a few a few things to think about here. I've gone back and forth on whether they should pursue him. And at this point, I do not think they should rule it out. I personally favor a little bit more of a top heavy roster construction. Um, I may have not have given out the Project Washington contract because that sort of takes away that, uh, you know, 5.2 million average per year salary takes away from maybe being able to add 
But uh, and he's not necessarily having a huge year, so I don't think you're necessarily looking at him as a starter next year. Really, I think the way you want to approach it in an ideal world is every position group to have one experienced veteran or maybe two, one sort of prime age cornerstone player, and then some youngsters. And Batabike fits the bill, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, so I have a few more thoughts, but I'll let you uh, chime in. I, I think that's a good model. I don't think you can necessarily do it at every position. And you and I certainly have some strong opinions on positions where you shouldn't necessarily pay top dollar. And and I'm sure we'll get into that as as we go through this. Defensive line has been a position of increasing costs across the NFL. Uh, Aaron Donald and uh, primarily, but Cam Hayward and some other players have driven the cost of interior defensive linemen up. And, uh, you know, there is going to be a cost of playing poker with Matabike that is just going to be significant. Uh, there are lots of teams out there with cap, and there are lots of teams that are not in the favorable position, again, of the Baltimore Ravens of having drafted well enough that they have to let some talent go. And this is we are getting to that point again from the 2020 draft. Absolutely. Uh, the market has exploded on the defensive tackles. I think a lot of it's driven by scarcity. There's just not as many high-quality players coming into the draft that play defensive tackle. It is one of those size and shape positions as well as uh, offensive tackle. Not necessarily that there's um, not so many six foot three, 310-pound men, but there's not so many that are disruptors that can penetrate. There's mm-hmm. quite a few guys that can be your two-gapping, block-eating, Brandon Stevens type, but there's not a lot of Matabikes. And, you know, Justin Simmons, um, Dexter Lawrence, there are a lot of guys who have gotten paid in the last year to Chris Jones, who's also a mm-hmm. unrestricted free agent. So uh, to me, it's going to come down to price, but I do think if I went to Costa Shoes, I would make Matabike a pretty good size offer and according to, um, I believe it was Spotrack, or was it over the cap? Either or, uh, they projected him to be worth about $13 million per year at this point of the season. I don't think that's unreasonable, honestly, at all, if they could if they could make that work. Now, we've talked about what the franchise tag is like at this position, because that's one of the options open to the Ravens, and that's $21 million projected right. anyway for next year. I think that's going to be an, uh, gonna have to be a uh, deal-breaker there. Uh, for one thing, your defensive tackles play fewer of the snaps. Uh, I, one of my things saying uh, I've been saying about Matabike all offseason is that I don't think he should be playing as many snaps as he is. Now, so far, he's played great. He, it really, it hasn't been an issue. He's played over 60% of the snaps, and I thought maybe 47 would be a good number for him going into this year. Uh when you're talking about a player who plays 47% of the snap and you need five guys who are going to play about 41, 42% of the snap, if you have a little bit of linebacker kicking inside, maybe a little bit less, but you're, you're, you're really, those guys are not as big a component of your defense sure. as the others. So, so while Pierce and Matabike have been an unbelievable pairing this year in terms of what they could do on the field, um, they're both coming up for free agency at the same time. It's going to make it very difficult to bring them both back. Yeah, I think probably bringing them both back would be extremely difficult. Um, so if you're looking at it, I think Travis Jones is probably a player you can project to take on a larger role next season. Um, Project Washington, probably a slightly larger role. But I even would pro- probably prefer, as seeing how this season is playing out, to maybe carry six defensive linemen on the roster next year. Uh, I think you want to maximize uh, your return on Roquan Smith by keeping those those guards off of him, by having a strong D-line, 
And the other thing, the point I make about Matabike, um, he's, most of the sacks are more of the cleanup or scheme variety. He's not just wrecking games one-on-one, like they're really, really elite defensive tackles. So that may keep his cost down to a range where the Ravens could potentially afford it. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, if if there's an affordable contract in the thirteen million dollar range, I'd be for it. I, I just, I don't think that's happening with Matabike. I think he's going to get a really large number. I think he clearly gets more than Patrick Queen. I think we might have had this discussion, or I might have had it with somebody else earlier this year about what well, I think it was us about how much Queen or uh, Matabike and Queen. I thought Matabike for certain would make more. Uh, as this season has played out, I'm, I'm more set in that. Uh, way that I think Matabike is going to clearly make more than Queen. We need to we need to move on to that when we can. But one of the things the Ravens do a very good job of is when they have departing UFAs, that they try and give them a baseline offer often that they can start negotiations at in the market. And what that does is that forces other teams to bid against their price and at least start it at a higher level so they can maximize what they get back in terms of a comp pick. And especially if the player is departing, for sure you do that. It's, if the player sure. might not be departing, you might use the old Aussie Newsom way of, why don't you take it to the market? Tell us what you got. We'll try and match it or beat it. Sure. No, that's that's a great strategy, um, bidding up the pot. Um, I, to me, there's some correlate to the Matthew Judon um, departure where he ended up not getting paid quite as much as many expected. And I would have liked to retain him as a cornerstone player, perhaps even at the expense of Tyus Bowser. And maybe you have to make some other moves at the margin of the roster to be able to afford another one more, one last cornerstone player. But um, Judon's making 11.3 million APY right now. Um, not too bad for a player with, uh, you know, all pro def- defensive player of the year ability when healthy. Yeah. Now they got Bowser at the time at five and a half million per year for four years, which was an incredible bargain, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he played two very fine years. And then obviously this year he's hurt. And next year, he's, he plays the last year's contract. But a lot of people have asked that question, by the way. Does his contract just roll over to next year? It doesn't unless it's the last year of the contract. So okay. he, uh, he'll he just play the last year of his contract next year. And that, that represents one of the big decisions we're going to have to get to on defense here. But before we jump on to, to that, what's your final number on Matt Apique? What would you try and structure for him to try and bring him back to Baltimore? I'm at about 14 Top dollar would be 14 APY. Uh, structure, you know, it depends how they're going to manipulate these board gears, whether you have to front load it or back load it, excuse me, or uh, or you can have a flatter structure. But I'd be about there. And then Michael Pierce as well. Uh, would you – I think he'd be worth bringing back, but I, I'm a little bit apprehensive of the injury risk as he advances in age. I, I think there's also a risk there uh, as well. I think in, in Pierce's case, I don't think there's a huge market for him. Um, and, and there probably should be, but I don't think there's a Minnesota Vikings type contract out there for him. I think at this point, um, he, he probably either signs for something above the vet minimum with incentives as a possibility, uh, probably based on playing time. And I think honestly, a lot of teams are going to want to control his weight. So they're probably going to want to have workout bonuses and, and, uh, and weight clauses in there that keep him at a certain level. Uh, you know, one of the things with, with Pierce is, the Ravens seem to have embraced now his weight. He's playing at yeah. 355. He looks enormous. I mean, he looks yes, absolutely he enormous. Like Grady Jarrett enormous. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, he showed up for practice that one time, just not in football shape and had to be sent home, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. This was the beginning of the OTAs or whatever it was that, that, that they just ate himself 
out of his uniform pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those times where uh, I think the Ravens you know, clearly from from this year's performance have done the right thing to let him you know, play at his own size where he's comfortable. And I, I don't know what kind of controls or nutritionists they have working with him or whatever, but uh, he's he's been very effective at what they list now as 355 pounds, and I think it could be more. I've seen some journalism on that, and he's, I think he was a pescatarian at one point when he was trying to control really? his weight. Um, yes, but uh, playing well, I just – I don't think you want to – hypothetically, if Matabike departs and your starter – your starters and you are able to bring back Pierce and Jones. I, I think you need a, a relatively early draft pick to add to that room. If Matabike does the part, I, I don't think you have the succession plan in place yet. Right. Well, they, you know, I, I you know, we have to talk about this before we move on too far into this is just what draft capital we're going to have on defense for 2024. And in our production meeting, we talked a little bit about where that pick needs to go. And I think we're of a similar mind here, uh, now, you cornerback would be my my number one position on the defense, but offensive tackle is up here. I'm mm-hmm. pointing to a high spot, you can guess, and 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 cornerback is half that high in terms of the need. Uh, two two guys at, at offensive tackle, Ronnie Stanley at left tackle, where the barriers to replacing him are enormous. I mean, you know, to get a decent left tackle, you usually have to get lucky as well as be good in terms of the draft. Um, so if they if they want a two year plan, that guy might be available in the second or third round. If they want a one year plan, it's got to be at the you know mid middle of the first round. It seems now, it's a it's a fairly loaded draft for OTs, but the Ravens might need two because you know Morgan Moses has been injured a lot this year. He's under contract for next year, obviously. So is Stanley, um, but but I think you know no no more than one more year from now, they're probably going to be replacing him as well. Yeah, I agree. I think. Um... You know, your first-round pick, in a perfect world, it would be a plug-and-play offensive tackle. Um, you know how the draft goes, though. Those premium positions fly up the board before before people have them rated a lot. Um, and then I think you'd probably go cornerback. And then defensive line. I'd probably put defensive line ahead of outside linebacker, depending on who returns or not. So those would be really the three. And then wide receiver is also a consideration. But uh, we'll, we'll touch on that when we get to the offensive portion of this next next show. Okay. All right. Well, sounds good. So defensive line, you want to try and make an effort to sign Matabiki. Your top number is 14 million. You want to get Pierce. What's your number on Pierce? Three. Okay. Three. I'm at three and a base plus incentives. I could do that. Um, He might come cheaper than that, by the way. He might be at, you know, the vet min plus significant incentives. And uh, that would be kind of cool. I'd really love him to become a, a Raven for life on mm-hmm. you know succession of two year deals or or a succession of one year deals even better um, at this point. I mean he's getting older, so it's not like there's going to be a, a I wouldn't think a huge demand around the league for him. No, I think he's probably a one year deal player or two, as you said. All right, what group so, should we move on to? Let's move on to inside linebacker since that has the other big name. Um, so you obviously have Roquan Smith locked up. He's your cornerstone player. Uh, captain of your defense for the near future, at least. Trenton Simpson, third-round pick, has not done very much on defense this year. And honestly, he hasn't been great on special teams either. But uh, you do have a little bit of depth as far as uh, Josh Ross and then Delshawn Phillips, UFA. But the big name is Patrick Queen, and I am adamantly opposed to re-signing him. All right, that's where I am as well. Um, you know, the, the, my reasons are, are twofold. Number one is 
that he really hasn't played that well this year now as a whole. The last game was exceptionally bad, a bunch of missed tackles. His missed tackle rate ballooned now up to over 13% for the year, which has been one of the bugaboos about him in the past. He hasn't Mm -hmm. been terrible in coverage, but he hasn't been great enough by any stretch to project that as the talent you're really paying for. Pretty good at running to the spot. Pretty good as a pass rusher, but not elite. So so we're really talking about a guy who is – a little bit above average for a inside linebacker. And when I say that, he's probably out of, I'm going to say there's maybe 55, 60 guys. I think it was 56 on PFF who'd played half of the max number of snaps. Mm-hmm. He's, he's probably the 25th best linebacker in the league right now in terms of, of what, he's, uh, what he's giving you. And some of the areas where he's not giving you a whole lot, they're kind of troublesome, like missed tackles and coverage. Absolutely agree there. Uh, interestingly, Spotrek had his market value at seventeen million, which is wow. bonkers to me. I think they're probably over overweighting uh, counting stats like tackles to come to that number. Uh, I don't think he's going to touch that, but I do think he's going to be priced out. And it's not that he's a bad player; you just don't want to pay two inside linebackers. I don't even want to pay one inside linebacker. <laughs> and it's the the problem is once you start paying. The players that, that fit your scheme, that are better fits in your scheme than maybe the other places and to try to mine the best, eventually you run out of resources and you have a hole at a position that the other teams prioritize that is very important in high leverage situations. I think the Costa maybe got a little bit lucky this year that he was able to pick up some outside linebackers and cornerbacks later in the offseason. That opportunity may not be there every year. So uh, I, I would like to reserve those resources for other positions. Oh, we, we, we probably need to talk about that because that's that's one of the things that I think the Ravens have done exceptionally well is picking up outside linebackers mm-hmm. late from the bargain bin. It does seem like there are edge rushers available in most years. Mm-hmm. The Ravens' method is actually pretty good, I think, at, at, at mining value. But I want to go back to inside linebacker freezing because my second big reason is one that people who listen to this show or listen to the other film study pods a, a lot will know I repeat fairly often is that – I really believe you can mine a lot of value by not paying the weak side linebacker. Because if you if you don't, if you have a rotation of players there, and the Ravens have done that a lot in the past, then you have the ability to platoon at that position. It's much cheaper than paying one guy. It's much more um, uh, protected from injury because the guys who can all do one thing you need to do at that position are a hell of a lot cheaper than the, the, the unicorn who can do everything you need to do. Ravens are very set in terms of what they can do defensively. Uh, they don't really use a dime back at all, even though they've had, they had nominally, they've had a great roster for safeties this year. And they have found a use for one of them at slot corner, which is terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, now the problem has been, they haven't all been healthy at the same time. So, you know, Worley's been out for some and, and lost Marcus Williams and he's still not really back. But, uh, uh, you know, the, at, at, at inside linebacker, the Ravens have some talented players, Delshawn Phillips, um, uh, Trenton Simpson and an unknown safety together would be one hell of a good start to an inside linebacker platoon. Um, if you had, to, if you just had to go to that in exchange for Queen and save, I'm going to say about ten million dollars per year in cap. Absolutely, we're in lockstep there. And I would just make the final point: I don't think it's it may be somewhat correlated that going to nickel instead of dime has been contributing a little bit to the fourth quarter collapses. Because I think when you're trying to protect the lead, I would much rather have dime personnel on the field than nickel. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And also, I mean, Queen plays every snap. 
So he's going to be more tired at the end of a game, even though he's a, you know, a young man, obviously, but it's still a problem uh, when those guys are on the field the whole time. So completely agree. So I think we're in agreement there. Um, Delshawn Phillip is a UFA, mm-hmm. and I think um, Vet Min would be would be right. fine by me. Yeah, yeah. that's I, I see him as a two year bonus to Vet Min guy. I think he's a he's a staple on special teams. I think he gives you really good inside linebacker play. And every time they've asked him to step up due to injury, which has happened some during camp and other other places, he's been one of the stars always. And uh, I'm I'm. I, I'm would be excited to have him back. And he and every week he and uh, Malik Harrison are the two with the highest snap counts on special teams. Mm-hmm. So certainly the two core special teamers. I guess we could probably transition to outside backer because Harrison is one of those UFAs. Um, you got quite a few of the outside core. You have returning uh, Odafe away, David Ajabo, um, then quite a few, you know, Davius Robinson, who looks like a role player, but he may develop into something later on. He can still set the edge. Um, and then Malik Ham, and I think you, Jadavian Clowney would be probably my number one priority to bring back on defense. But it may cost a considerable bit more than it did this year. I I could see that happening. I'd be okay with it if uh, if we're talking about a uh, one to two year deal. I think that's what Clowney is probably going to be shopping around for this offseason not that he he wants that necessarily but he probably wants a he might want a series of two-year deals where every year it's really a one-year deal in in a sheep's clothing of a two-year deal kind of thing and and mm-hmm. then you have some old maid risk with he doesn't end up finishing out the contract for you i'd much prefer one year with incentives on a on a basis each year uh with him but Boy, he's really thrived in this system. It seems like it makes a lot of sense for him to come back here. Um, I just hope he, he, he hasn't priced himself out because he had a very fine year. And some other teams that play a 3-4 defense, and he's usually been a 4-3 end, um, you know, are going to be able to see that and say, hey, um, this is a guy who has value in our system too. Yes, agreed. Uh, for what it's worth, OTC has him at $15 million, which is way too rich for my blood. But uh, if you could be somewhere in the maybe $5 million base with – and I agree with you, one-year deal is the way to deal with Jadavian Clowney. I do not want to have – he's had some motivation issues in the past. He's had some want to showing up for training camp issues late in the past. I, I don't think a two-year deal. But, but he seems like a pretty key player, and I think if you can bring him back along with OA – and Ojabo and the young guys, they're probably okay. I don't think you necessarily need a draft. And as you said, maybe you continue tapping into that uh, veteran, um, mercenary, outside backer. Um, and another, and the other one is obviously Kava Inouye. Kava Inouye also, uh, uh, you know, a guy who's been exceptionally good in terms of, of delivering pass rush right away. Still has a great spin move, by the way. It's just something mm-hmm. that, that I did not expect to see. Uh, what he hasn't done as much this year as he has in the past is dropped a coverage. And he had, like, I think he had 1,400 career coverage snaps before he came in. He had played some off ball, but he also played a lot of 3-4 uh, at the line of scrimmage and was still dropping, which was much more similar than anybody out there to Tyus Bowser and what the Ravens were losing. Um, but this year, he's just been bringing it as a pass rusher. He's in there. Uh, you know, it, It's a great three-man rotation right now. It'd be great to bring the band back together. Um, just doesn't always work that way. And and uh, wouldn't surprise me if one of Van Noy or Clowney slips out of their grasp. I think that, uh, well, I hope I'm wrong, but I think it's pr- they're probably going to be 
an either or proposition. And I do prefer Clowney because I think his pressures are a little bit more autonomous than Van Noy's. Van Noy seemed to be mm-hmm. a little bit more schemed. Although Van Noy does bring the versatility, uh, more versatility, I think Clowney. So that, that brings us to Tyus Bowser, who has not even practiced since minicamp. Apparently, according to some reports, he's medically cleared, and but he does not want to join the field. Um, five and a half million dollars annual uh, per year. Um, I think I'd, I'd like to see them reallocate that towards uh, both Clowney and Malik Harrison. This is one of these things where I'm going to completely defer to the club because I think it's really based on the trust they have with Tyus and and just understanding that um, they're on the same page with him being back. And I really don't just mean John Harbaugh in this case because I think John has a, a general tendency to kind of be pushing pe- players back on the field, rewarding players who, who who push themselves back to the field, which I think has been a mistake, by the way. And and it, it, it showed up most recently in the Williams situation, Marcus Williams. Mm-hmm. I, I know he, he probably loves the fact that Marcus Williams didn't have surgery, stayed around, worked like hell, wants to be on the field, wants to contribute to a contender here this year. And is is you know obviously trying really hard in practice and and in games for that matter too to be on the field, but if the guy's hurt and he and he can't perform, the Ravens are playing eleven on ten, and they just can't afford to do that. Other teams will find that guy and force him to make tackles as the Browns did, and and you know I, I counted seven individual times in that game timestamps in the article um, that that he basically approached a ball carrier timidly and, and attempted a hurting technique. Um, where he's not really going in and making the tackle, and I just I I don't think you can have that on the field. I I just don't don't think you can. So anyway, um, getting back to the larger point on Harbaugh is I don't trust just John Harbaugh on this situation. In fact, I think if if you're to change one thing about John as a coach, it would be um, deal differently with injuries. Okay. And, and yes, you want people back quickly. And yes, you want to keep the the every every other team on their heels about where these players are. But I'd rather have a say nothing approach and a true say nothing approach, where it's maybe even there's some retribution on the um, media who ask injury questions because it kind of forces Harbaugh to to you know lay his cards out on the table, and, yeah. and just you know Harbaugh's just not a no. Uh, um, uh, my only comment is no comment guy. Hey, as, right. as much as he, he he wants to be that guy, you know, he'll either react very positively and 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 then he should realize that, oh, I've given away a positive thing. Uh, then that means if I don't have anything to say, it's always negative. Uh, he's just he's right. not that guy. I agree with you. I don't see much benefit besides, you know, content creators getting clicks in the middle of the week for uh, Harbaugh to be commenting. They have They are forced by the league to put out the practice report in writing and go off of that. There's not nothing else needs to be to said necessarily. So um, getting back to outside backers here. So basically they have, I guess the question is, and I, and I well, I didn't necessarily ask you about Malik Harrison yet, Ken. I view yeah. him as a core special teamer who can also set the edge. And I'd like to see him on a, you know, a little bit better than that, that meant type of deal. Yeah, that's the same, same exact place I am. Two years, 2.5, 2.8 million um, would, would be just fine. Um, I, he's not worth two years, 5 million like Justice Hill made. I think that was overdoing it, frankly, um, mm-hmm. for, for Hill. But I think that uh, if if they, you know, if he's the new Anthony Levine, that would be fine. Um, 
I think the same is is uh, true of, of Delshawn Phillips. Either one of them could be the special teams captain next year. Uh, Stone is it this year, I think, still. But uh, but either one of those guys could be the uh, the, the special teams captain going forward. And uh, you know he he's reshaped his body to be a, a you know a highly specialized edge defender. But one of the things usually is if you're going out and getting these veteran guys, most of them want to be situational pass rushers. Clowney's a little Absolutely. bit, he's willing to pay more, but you know, you need guys like Robinson and, and uh, Harrison to eat those early down snaps and in, in more obvious running situations. So if you have, uh, if you bring back Harrison and then you have away, Ojabo, Robinson, Moon and Ham, I think you probably only need one veteran. So then it's, do you need, do you want Bowser or do you prefer Clowney or do you prefer Van Noy? And I, 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 I'll just reiterate, I prefer Clowney. Okay. I, I'd go ahead. I, I prefer Clowney too. And I, I would probably get one other guy. I think here's, here's what I'm going to say about this with a Jabo. I don't have a lot of confidence that the Jabo is going to ever amount to anything. That's unfortunately the place we are right now. I was much more optimistic like everybody else. I think a Jabo, what's happened to his career is a cautionary tale for the Ravens in terms of drafting players like that, but not only in terms of drafting players like that, but in terms of retaining the NFI designation. Mm-hmm. So if you draft them, they're on NFI, and you're doing this player, frankly, a favor because Ajabo wouldn't have been drafted as high the second time around. If he if he had um, uh, if if he comes in onto the team, he's not going to be able to play that first season. He stays on NFI the whole year, and and right. and it's unfortunate. But I think they're going to take that route with Andrew Voris, and I know at the beginning of the season that um, uh, Brian McFarland, who's you know somebody I really respect in terms of how players interact with uh, teams, uh, was saying that it, it's not usual that they would do that, that they would keep somebody on NFI for an entire season. It's kind of like reneging on the entire draft pick at, at all. But in, in, in the case of Voorhees, you know, he wouldn't be drafted as high, not nearly as high as his original grade this last round. Uh, he's, uh, he's in an NFL weight room at least this mm-hmm. year, getting some work in. He's got an NFL rehab on that knee, which has got to be positive. Um, but it's it's a um, – I don't – I think the Ravens will, will be very slow to ever take a player, allow him to try and come back late in his first year again, play six games, try and get on the field some, try and get some NFL, NFL practice. Um, I just don't think they're going to – I don't think they do, should be willing to do that again. I would agree. I agree completely. You know, I always side on the what's best for the team of the player. It is a delicate balance. You want to do right by the player. You don't want to build up animosity, but those are the rules. The rules, as long as you're within the rules, you know, I, I prefer to, to do what you can to, to what's best for the team. Right. Yeah, real unfortunate case in both of those situations because both of them were hurt in the normal course of training. The Kari Vedve. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about the Yuffie video lock. Because when I'm not podcasting, I am. My day job is a smart home specialist. And the Eufy Video Smart Lock is perfect. This is what you guys need to go get. It replaces the deadbolt on your door. So now you can come home without fumbling with keys. You can just type in a code. Or, even better, use your fingerprint to unlock. After one second, you put your finger there, pops out, my door's open. It's perfect. It also is an integrated video doorbell. We've all seen the video doorbells. We all know the ones that are out there. I've seen many of them get stolen. No one's going to steal this because it's your door lock. It's impossible for them to steal. There's no monthly fee. Other ones do. 
But this one, it'll record locally, so you never have to pay if you don't want to. The battery, it lasts up to four months. Plus, it notifies you ahead of time. And I mentioned earlier one-second fingerprint recognition. No, I meant one second till it opens. The AI self-learning chip will learn your fingerprint even faster, and then it opens up. Completely keyless entry. No more keys. And I know I set this up as I'm a smart home specialist, but anyone can install this. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver. That's it. And then you're done. Guys, I love this product. Make sure you check it out. Now, here's the easiest thing to do. Just go on to Google or whatever you prefer and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com forward slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door just like me, just like Ken. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Situation in, in a way was much more cut and dried in terms of a guy who was in the wrong place at the wrong time at the wrong time of night um, mm-hmm. in particular. Um, so it was much, much easier to slap an NFI on him for a whole year. Uh, and the Bowser situation, I, I don't really understand all of the mechanics of it, which is why I want to defer to the team in, in terms of what's there. But I will say this. If neither Ajabo nor Bowser is going to be back as a pass rusher, I do think the Ravens are going to need a second vet. Okay. Uh, certainly, certainly reasonable point there. Uh, I guess the other topic as far as the outside linebacker group is – Odafayowe uh, entering this offseason. Eric DeCosta will have to decide whether or not to pick up his fifth-year option. And um, certainly you want to see how he comes on down the stretch. I've always been a little bit higher on OA's performance than maybe the general fan base at large. I think it would probably behoove the Ravens to pick that up. Oh, absolutely. And I think his pressure rate is going to demand it. Um, he's, he's, he's a great fit for this defense. The Ravens do need to have some finishers. Um, they've got that this year in terms of guys who, who uh, get to the quarterback, but he's a first pressure guy and he's done some, he's done some things with that. He also can be a closer himself, although that really hasn't been his thing the whole career. The problem is you need kind of a critical mass of players who can generate pressure in order to have, you know, first pressures. Right. Last, and we're really seeing that this year. Um, the, the rotation they have right now is, is kind of ideal in my mind to have, a pairing, a, a group of three, where you're really comfortable playing any two at the same time in passing situations. Yes, completely. It's it's a great it's a great core right now. So I think Oa could be, potentially be a cornerstone player for this franchise um, as long as he c- continues on this developmental curve that he's on. And the way he's playing, uh, you know, forcing some fumbles and sacks three of the last four weeks, um, really coming on strong. That that fifth year option could be a, a Tremendous value to the team compared to what he would make 
only open market, depending on how he plays. Right. Absolutely. And it's the end of the first round. And if we look at these two positions, I can't believe the relative value of these, but OA at 7.2 million projected on over the cap for a fifth year option. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer at that level. Yeah. You obviously would pay that for a Duffy OA. I guess the question is, how do you try after his fourth year? Do you plan after his fourth year to make him one of your cornerstone guys by making that the point at which you offer him his deal? Or do you try something really in advance now after three years and try and tack on, say, four years to his deal where he's going to make 7.2 next year? And that's that's set because, you know, obviously Pat Kerwin always says that has to be baked into the deal anyway. But right. but you actually tack on four years to his deal at, say, 11 million, 12 million per year, such that it, it could really be a bargain by the end of it. I'd love to do something like that. The issue is more oftentimes than not, it seems, when those players sign those deals and then they're three years into it, Daniel Hunter, for example, all of a sudden they're saying, give me a pay raise. I think uh, Matthew Judon asked for a raise with the Patriots, and they deserve it too. So it's, you know, as you always um, mentioned, that the residual benefits of the player versus the team, um, I think you probably pick up the fifth year, see how he finishes out the fourth year, and then maybe you do uh, extend him then um, if, you, if you can get him a little bit below, you know, market value. Yeah, that's a that's a great reason to have contracts that are fairly steep when, mm-hmm. in the second year is that the pay raises are already baked in. So, you know, you, you point to the next year, I, I need a pay raise next year. I've way played my contract. Well, what are you talking about? You're making $15 million next year. And it's, it becomes harder than to uh, uh, for, for a player to claim that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. But if you look at it, are you going to have an anchor or cornerstone player on a defensive line without Metabike? Probably not. Um, obviously, Roquan's your anchor, your cornerstone at inside backer. And then Owe probably has the best chance to be at outside backer. I was surprised. I'll just go back to Judon again for a second. I was surprised that they let Judon go because I was looking back in the history and everybody's saying, look at all these edge rushers they let go. Paul Kruger and Pernell McPhee and uh, so on and so forth. They always had at least one anchor, one stalwart that could went from Bullware to Suggs, and Suggs was here for so long. And then after Suggs, then it became Judon. And I was surprised. So anyway, I hope OA develops into that player. Well, what really was very special about Judon is that when they had him and Bowser on the on you know the edges of that defense together, incredible flexibility in terms of who you dropped to cover. Uh, Judon could do it all. Uh, Bowser's an even better cover guy with a good you know career sack percentage of one point seven percent. You know, it's better than Clowney's, for example, which is a lot mm-hmm. that surprises a lot of people. Um, but anyway, a, a guy who who uh, drops to cover like nobody else in the league. I was at the time very much on record saying they got a much better value and it was a 80, 20 situation with Bowser than Judon. But I did think Judon was the better player of the two. Uh, so anyway, it, it, I understand. I think I understand why they went for value there uh, and they really couldn't find a way to keep both. I think they maybe could have, but that's neither here nor there. That's water under the bridge at this point. Um, let's, if you're ready, should we move on to a sure. corner? Sure. So cornerback, obviously Marlon Humphrey, cornerstone player, twenty-three million cap hit next year. Um, Brandon Stevens in the middle of a breakout third season for sure, playing at a very high level. And then under contract, they have a few developmental players still: Jad, Pepe, Ardarius Washington, 
Um, and then they have several unrestricted free agents as well that have played a lot. Arthur Mollette played the most, and then Rakusin and Ronald Darby. So uh, let me start with Stevens, if that's okay. I, I, he's the guy, obviously, Humphrey, you're set. You, you, you don't have yeah. to do anything different. He's been a player who they've consistently restructured his contract so that they've they've ended up with a bigger cap hit, but it's been one of the sources of fungible capital year after year in terms of, of finding additional cap. Um, Stevens is the guy. He's, he's coming up on the end of his third year, which is the first point at which you can extend a player. By the way, that's something a lot of people don't know. They think, yeah, you know, the guy caught, the first caught, or second uh, year. Yeah. We've, we've caught people doing false reporting saying the Ravens are trying to extend. I think it was actually yeah. Marlon Humphrey. And they said, they're trying to extend him in the middle of his second year. But he said, no, because he doesn't <laughs> like this organization. We said, I don't think so. That sounds like bullcrap. Stop making things up, Lockin' for us. <laughs> uh, that, that is just that's ridiculous. Okay. So anyway, Stevens, uh, up near the top in a lot of the really important metrics for cornerbacks, passer rating against, uh, the number of targets he's had, uh, yards per target, he's even up towards the top. That wasn't He wasn't great in that at the very beginning of this year. He's cut his penalties now. Uh, you know, it, uh, just a whole bunch of things going right for Brandon Stevens. He seems to be at the right position. I would definitely try and work to get an extension done this offseason. I don't know how expensive or how cheap it's going to be. I, I don't think it has to be a Lardarius Webb-sized extension by any stretch, but I think it's it's something where a mid-range number is on the table and both sides say, you know what? I like the way you've treated me. You gave me the chance in the third year, I hope, from Steven's perspective. Um, and I like the idea of not being moved around and maybe staying staying at outside corner. And maybe they can get something figured out in the in the maybe seven and a half million dollar range. I'm not even sure what it would take at this point. So I'd have to have to think about it. I'd be I'd be in at seven and a half. Uh, OTC has it at twelve. Um, but I, th- I think that's probably higher than, than would be. And, and again, when you're coming in earlier and giving them that security of getting their money up front before they, you know, take on more injury risk, you can hypothetically get players cheaper. Uh, the only thing, so they, they have all these charts now this year where they have separation percentage and target and they have all these graphs and a lot of really good, interesting stuff out there. Um, he's been great. The only thing uh, where Marlin has really been, much better than him is separation allowed. But if he's still winning at the catch point, you know, no harm, no foul. He has so I, I like Stevens a lot. It comes into the question of can you afford to have a high paid corner and a mid level corner? Um or are you better off letting him play out the fourth year and drafting a corner early in the draft this year to become your C B two and then kind of going pretty cheap at the slot corner going forward. Um, but for a reasonable number, I would – he'd be the one third-year player I'd look to extend if you can get a, a decent bargain there. Yeah, uh, and, and I, I'd add no way to that list, but, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd uh, agree with that entirely. And and your your, your point is right about a, about a high-paid player and then a, a mid-range player. I think you can afford that at corner with the importance of the position. Uh, you know, I wouldn't do it an inside linebacker, for example – but it's there's there's another dynamic here is that you actually need a whole string of players which have either a natural drop off in either cap cost or ability that you you've 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 sunk draft capital into usually um, that can that can come in and back up and I, that's one of the things they've done exceptionally well this year uh, Yasin and Darby Yasin did not have a good game by the way against uh, the no. Browns just here but uh, but it, it, Darby and Yasin had been fantastic until then. 
in terms of providing fill-in value, and you need that. I mean, cornerbacks are the pitchers of the National Football League. They get hurt all the time. Uh, it's, a, it's a comment I, I really love that DaCosta has, but, uh, but you know, it's something that you need to plan for is you need, really need to be four or five deep in graded value at that position. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, I used to I used to be adamant that it was the most important position on defense. I think I probably softened my stance a little bit with the way schemes have changed recently, but I'm a big fan of cornerback. So I guess uh, with um, Marlon, either way, you're going to have Stevens. And then I think you're – well, I'm not sure what you want to do on the slot because I actually think uh, Molette would be worth a uh, a veteran minimum uh, retention, uh, playing pretty well, and especially he's played very well on defense for the most part. Um, I, I honestly think he's been a little bit up and down on defense, but that's okay. Um, I would – I'd be in favor of retaining him at the vet men. I think, you know, he's done a lot of the things the Ravens want him to do. He's part of the pass rush crew at that position. And he's done some things in coverage that are probably a little bit better than what he did when he's at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So I would be in favor of keeping him there. And I, I just got to kind of remember that that position should probably not ever be more than a vet men guy. The Ravens have Darius Washington under contract who might be better than Mollette anyway. Right. And you, you might want him over him. And the second thing they have is Hamilton, who it appears his most valuable position may be playing that slot. So it gives the mm-hmm. Ravens some defensive flexibility once we get into the safety talk about you know how they want to approach that position um, that, that I think is very interesting. So uh, uh, this could be a very safety-heavy team next year. Agreed. Agreed. But you're still going to need depth on the boundary perimeter cornerbacks. Mm-hmm. So um, – I think you probably want to re-sign one of Yassine or Darby. And I'd like to see some more out of Darby uh, getting some more reps because he hasn't seen the field on defense the last two or three weeks. And uh, I think you, you need to draft a corner relatively early, day two. Uh, I would say day two corner. I would certainly – whether you whether you sign uh, Stevens long-term or not, you, need, you really need three uh, perimeter corners. I'm, I'm completely. You won't. No argument here, and I, I think you probably need four. But uh, but anyway, we're it's it's a graded thing. You know, your your fourth guy, your fourth guy can be a a guy who is not yet proven. It's just it can't be a guy that has a really limited chance to succeed. And the the two guys that I'll point to as the really limited chance to succeed, they I think they kind of knew that JAD was going to be a long shot starting this year, and even beginning yeah. with camp in terms of what was going on. And I, it does not appear he's going to see the field, um, you know, more than a, a handful of snaps for the, for the entire year. And then if you, if you, um, the other guy was Caillou Blue Kelly and I, you know, he was such a lottery ticket of a pick, obviously, you know, the Ravens scouts liked something about this guy. And frankly, the metrics were so bad on him in college. I just could not figure out how you can, It's, it, there's, a, there's an evaluator arrogance you need to overcome yeah. whenever you're looking at, at players. And and I I have it. I have biases of my own. I loved Emmanuel Forbes. Emmanuel Forbes, you know, it may, may or may not be a great NFL corner, but he sure as hell is one unbelievable center fielder, cover three pick artist in terms of doing it a lot of different ways. In and of itself, that's, that's not enough. You know, tackling at the NFL level is going to be more important. There are going to be ways in which he's challenged. I, with Caillou Blue Kelly, admittedly, he's a fifth-round pick, not a first-round pick. But I couldn't see what's what's the reason that obviously at least one, probably two scouts had a red star on this guy. 
that the Ravens just have to have him in the fifth round as opposed to other guys they turned up earlier, like Kelly Ringo, for example, or, or, or others. Yeah, I disliked the pick at the time, and I was pounding the table that he should not make the 53. I think I didn't have him on my projection. I'm one of the only folks around, and I'm glad they cut bait. You know, I just – I think sometimes they hold on too long um, waiting for something that, has, as you said, a small percentage chance of actually coming to fruition, and they could have used that roster spot for another more valuable player. Jalen Armour Davis is probably approaching that territory as well. Oh, Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think his, his chance of being a valuable NFL player, it's you're, when you're talking about looking at, at various players who have a similar kind of a trajectory right now, obviously our Darius Washington's future is very clouded by what's, you know, his injury history right now, but I still think he might be the best chance of the year three breakout guys. Daniel Fa'alele on offense is a guy that I think his, his chance is greatly reduced as a developmental lineman. Um, you, you just, there are players like that, if you don't know what you have by the end of the second year, then you probably don't have too much. Yeah, and not every pick works out. I think sometimes folks get a little bit too excited at reading the press clippings after the draft and think that, you know, you made seven picks and all seven of them are going to be players. Not every draft is going to be the 2018 draft. Yeah, yeah, very good. You know, another guy right on the, on the roster who exactly fits this two years and you don't know what you have is David Ajabo. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's just, you know – there's a lot of these players, they just won't end up working out. Kolar is another guy approaching the end of his second year who the Ravens have no idea what they have. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's really unfortunate, but uh, but it is what it is. So I think we touched on all of the corners on the depth chart, I believe. Pepe Williams? Yes. Is there with, – with Pepe, is there, is, there a, um, is there a place for him on this team now? I think he's going to have to earn it. He's going to have to beat somebody out. He's on the outside looking and going into camp next year. Yeah, that's where I am too. I think Ardarius is ahead of him. And then you've got, if you have pressure on that slot corner position because you really want to play Hamilton there, then I think it ends up being um, he's out the door. It's just Hamilton is so, gives the Ravens so much flexibility by playing there. Um, you really, you know, there's, there's not the reason to have a, a young corner. Pepe is an absolutely no way in hell on the outside at his size. So it's not like there's a there's a flexibility to move him out there. He has to play in the slot to be effective, and uh, I'm just I'm not seeing it right now. Right, right. Just projecting it forward. If you are losing Queen, and you are going to a platoon, and you need a dime a dime backer, mm-hmm. maybe that's Hamilton, and then maybe you do have room for somebody else as the as a slot in the nickel. But um, you know, I think you you need depth at cornerback no matter what. So that's not a position to skimp. And ever, I don't think. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. All right, well, let's move on to the safety group. Sure. So we have Marcus Williams, $19 million, uh cap hit next year. Kyle Hamilton, is obviously. Um, and Jeremy Lucian, who's a uh, on the practice squad, providing some depth. And then Daryl Worley, restrict, unrestricted free agent. And big name, uh, breakout season, Gino Stone is the other big, big ticket item. So they have five guys, and they've had a whole rotation of different guys who've come in from the outside to to play. Uh, Adams is on the practice squad now. Houston Carson, who they have on the on the on the field earlier this year, that's in that group. Oh, I'll, I'll forget a name, but that's okay. I'll, I'll come up with it in a minute. It's not important. Um, it, might, it might just be Worley is the guy. Seymour and Worley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Uh, 
and they, they actually put Brandon Stevens back there for a few snaps when they ran out of safeties for a game. It's right. been a weird position because the Ravens probably for next year want to have a lot of safeties on the roster because they may have a situation where they want to play four at the same time. If you, if mm-hmm. you have Hamilton at slot corner, you have somebody else at dime, you know, Tony Jefferson type, somebody who really more fits the linebacker role um, there. And then two guys on the back end who can certifiably, you know, play split on the back end. And Williams is clearly one of those. Um, but then, you know, is it Worley? Is it somebody else you 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 want? Um, is it one of your special teams guys that you want to do there? I think you want to go cheap at the second mm-hmm. safety spot. But uh, but it is a case where I really love having a lot of safeties on the team. They give you a lot of special teams value in addition to the defensive value. Absolutely. I think for there was a time the Ravens had six safeties on the on the 53. I think for 2020, um, and they've had five safeties a lot of times. Mm-hmm. It, as you said, it's a it's a core it's a position that's known for special teams. On the uh, on the Geno Stone um, topic, which is probably I didn't look up his projection, but uh, we're going to assume that it's inflated because he has so many interceptions this season. I've been disappointed by his tackling the last few weeks. I thought oh, yeah. last season he was really filling the alley and bringing guys down an open open field, and that was one of his strong suits. And the last couple of weeks has, has been, um, as I said, disappointing. I mean, I, first of all, agree completely. I think if you look back to October when he had four interceptions, Marlon Humphrey put up a tweet is like, why wouldn't he, you know he be the defensive player of the month with four picks? And they they picked a there's a linebacker I forget who it was, but it's linebacker with the Jets or whatever who had a, had a big tackle month, but had not otherwise done a lot. Not Mosley. I don't. It wasn't Mosley. I I, I think it was might have been a Williams. Williams. Or, yeah. Quinn and, uh, not Quinn and, no. Quincy. I think. Yeah, that might be it. That might be it. Um, but anyway, you know, it was something that was a little surprising to say the least in terms of of what's going on. I, I, don't, I guess Stone has not played at least fifty percent of seven hundred fourteen snaps here because I'm trying to find his missed tackle rate, and I know it's been kind of high. Uh, yeah, he's he's seventeenth in missed tackle rate at almost twenty percent now, nineteen point one percent for the year among safeties who played at least half of the maximum snaps. So that's seventeenth out of ninety two. Guys, I've played twenty percent of the snaps. Sorry, uh, that's that's not a good place to be. Um, now it's a, it's a, it's a smaller sample size, but that has been one of the frustrations about him. And and I don't think it's easy to have both Williams and Stone on the back end at the same time. Uh, they've done it some when they move Hamilton right. up into the box, but uh, but it's obviously something where I think they prefer to have say a Worley and a Stone on the back end for tackling purposes. Right, right. I'm cautiously optimistic. That Williams will his tackling will improve as we get a little later in the season, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, Cleveland might be the most physical team on the on the uh, on the uh, schedule, but uh, I guess I, it comes down to me to asset allocation again. You don't want to have uh, Williams as one of the ten highest paid safeties in the league. Hamilton as your as your earliest draft pick you've had in ten years, you know, almost ten years, and then also to be paying Geno when. We are in base. You can't even have all three on the field at the same time. For the same reason, you don't want to pay a second linebacker. You, you just want to spread your funds around. So you have, you want to be a balanced team at the end of the day. The teams that win in the playoffs most often, unless you have a super high octane passing offense, is the, usually the most balanced team. Yeah, 
Well, I'm I'm all for that, and uh, and safety and inside linebacker are two positions with which compete with each other for cap space. So the fact the Ravens have paid a lot to safeties and used a lot of draft capital there is another reason why you have to be really careful. And there's a lot of people in the middle there who could provide tremendous value to your defense if you let it happen. And the Ravens did it. You know, in 2000, 2019, that mm-hmm. defense was crumbling. You know, the offense was unbelievable and they were making nothing. But the defense mm-hmm. was crumbling with injuries and with with non-production uh, uh, over uh, Peter Principle for a wasso over promoting him. Mm-hmm. Uh, into a position where he could, you know, he could no longer perform. And in midseason, they went out and got Bynes and Fort, and they fixed it. You know, mm-hmm. and and, and that's it's the kind of marginal players they need at weak side linebacker slash safety who can really help you. Versatile safety who can. When I say versatile, I mean he can play a play a split field back end at the minimum. Doesn't have to be a free safety, but he has to at least be able to play half that field on the back end. Um, come up in the box, make some tackles, be physical, do the things. Daryl Worley has been a godsend in terms of exactly meeting that need this year. And I just hope they're, they're looking to, to keep more players like that around who, uh, who, who could be flexible at that weak side linebacker and safety position and fill in as needed around their enormous star talent there. Definitely. I definitely like to see Worley retained on another just cheap deal. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think you want to draft a safety. I think the Ravens have a, very good hit rate of day three safeties. And oh, even, yeah. Um, UDFAs as well. Uh, maybe not. UDFAs is where they really strive at linebacker. Yeah. They, the, they've done a safety too. And Will Demps is a UDFA, for example. Yeah. But, but yeah. They, uh, they, uh, their, their history drafting dimebacks with Ozzy is one of the most amazing. You can you can set your watch to it or a metronome or whatever you want to call it. Is they they <laughs> they are just constantly able to find the right guy at the right price in round six or later. And Geno Stone is only the latest in that group, but it goes back to Ralph Staten, you know, finding Corey Harris free a cheap on the free agent market and having him you know produce four years, including the big one as a dime back in two thousand for the Ravens and then being the starting. Mm-hmm starting safety, uh, you know, for, for a lot of that playoff season. And then they went to, ch- to people who are forgotten now, Anthony Mitchell, who's just remembered now again because of his yep. son, but was a great, yep. was a great player at the time. You know, they had uh, uh, Chad Williams come in be unbelievable mm-hmm. in terms of return yards when Ed Reed was at his peak. Um, Jerome Sapp, a guy who was forgotten, but was extra- exceptionally valued. Huruki Nakamura, Tom Zivikowski did just a little bit, but he's, he was an overdraft in the third round. They, they really didn't get value. Yeah. On him, but all these other guys were sixth round or later. That, that Chuck, they Clark, Chuck Clark, Chuck Clark's a great one too. Yeah. Um, so, so they have a, you know, I think you lean into your efficiencies, but I agree with you. You want somebody that's not a, a box only safety. You don't mm-hmm. want to. You want somebody that can. Nobody's playing a lot of single high anyway, and even if they do, you have Williams, who's one of the best in the league at it. So, I, I would say that's a draft need um, for day three. Uh, you know, maybe fourth round, fourth fifth yeah. round, and. Even sixth, I I would I would even say I would target the sixth round because I think there's a okay. lot of good safeties in the draft, and and then you bring in another UDFA guy. But the 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 I'm also um, hopeful that the guy they have in camp right now in Jeremy Lucian is going to be one hell of a player, and he he might mm-hmm. be the guy next year. Uh, so we'll see. I, I think there's there's some funny things going on with the way the Ravens are keeping him under wraps that I'm that I think bode well for who he is as a player. Uh, you keep Excellent. a guy in the practice squad the whole year, and uh, you bring in this rotation of guys who, who, frankly, I don't know what they think they have. 
uh, and I know he's learning the position, which might be part of the part of the issue. Uh, but just talking to the guy on on the sh- on the show here, and I would I, I I'll, I'll plug it. If you want to go back and listen to the Jeremy Lucian episode, the guy's mm-hmm. a very very smart young man, and it's extremely apparent in terms of how quickly this guy might be able to pick up a defense uh, engineering student at at Connecticut and Vanderbilt, I believe who finished his degree and he made the point, you know, a lot of athletes complain about it. You can't go to school, you know, but it is possible. And, you know, you just, you just yeah. have to be really dedicated to it. And there's some late nights. And that's, that's the kind of guy I want in terms of work ethic, playing back on the back end for the Ravens. And, and that translates maybe better to safety than any other positional defense being that heady. It's a, you know, Ed Reed didn't run a four, three, you there know, you he ran like what, like a four, six or something and uh, or four five. So Yeah. Um, so I think we pretty much covered most of the defense here. Um, obviously, uh, outside linebacker, defensive line, and 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 how how good of a comp pick are you going to get for uh, for Queen and Stone? I think hopefully, and maybe Matabike too. Yeah, and we I think we talked about uh, most of the UFAs. Let me just see if there's any points I have on my list here that we we have to we, we that I would really like to hit on. I think it's the, maybe the biggest thing this offseason. I don't know if it's really the biggest thing, but it's it's something they really have to figure out is how is the organization trust Tyus Bowser? And it's the one thing I'm not going to try and substitute my judgment mm-hmm. for for the Ravens front office. They know what the relationship is. They know what Bowser is doing. Um, whether it's whether it really makes sense, whether it's Harbaugh pushing him too hard, or whether it's him not pushing himself hard enough, or whether it's um, Bowser's doing everything he can to get to get back on the field, and and you know they just need to be reasonable about it. But whatever the case, um, you know I, I hope that they uh, uh, they can figure it out. I will say this: having an NFI designation for the for an entire year on a veteran player almost never occurs, and when it does, hmm. it's usually a sign of a significant issue. The other guy who is no way has a future with the Ravens is Trayvon Mullen, and hmm. um, he's been on NFI the entire year as well. So they're right. going to have to figure out, you know, how that plays out. Probably just release him at the end of the year, I would think. Um, but uh, but anyway, he's uh, he's been another uh, similar case, unfortunately, where uh, and, and probably dissimilar, frankly, because everybody's different. But but anyway, he's a, he's a player that, uh, that won't be a Raven next year. Right. And the benefit of the NFI is it doesn't uh, negatively impact the cap. Right. So yeah, you save that money. You actually get a credit back. So, yeah, we'll see if Ty's Bowser. Um, Honestly, if they could find a way to bring him back, he might also be able to fit into the Will platoon in maybe some way too, uh, potentially, because he does have some of those skill sets. But, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. I think what veteran outside backer is the big, one of the big ones as far as – and then rebuilding the D-line. Mm-hmm. All right. Always a great uh, pleasure to do these shows with you, Vasa. Appreciate you, you uh, obviously being so prepared for the show. Really, really uh, love it every week. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online. I am at Twitter uh, at Vasilis Beatdown, V A S I L I S Beatdown, and I'm author editor at Baltimore Beatdown Blog, and I have another podcast called Ravens Way Pod. So um, please, uh, I love talking about roster construction and strategy and where you can save and where you want to pay up and where you want to pay down and all that. So uh, hit me up. All right. Uh, Make sure you give that pod a listen. Uh, Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, I'd love to have you. And this is the prime time right now. We're coming up on a mini buy, then followed by an, an actual extended buy where I have a week of content to fill that doesn't have normal slotting. 
So the normal shows eat up most of the week, but this is a great time of year to talk about what's going on in the Ravens season. We have a lot of it in the books. We, we, you know, we talk about looking forward to the playoffs. What should the Ravens be doing? But it's what topic you're passionate about. Try and make it as granular as possible. Hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I do promise I'll get right back to you about the, uh, the possibility of, of making a show out of that. Voss, uh, always a pleasure. And uh, <laughs> for Voss and myself, uh, we'll talk to you next time on Friday morning. GM. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com.